Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Well, good morning. Amen. It's great to be together in the house of the Lord. Wonderful to see the family of God together. Amen. And welcome again to our visitors. It's great to have you guys. Trust your stay would be enriching and encouraging in the Lord. Amen. We were busy with a theme on the subject of the grace of God. And you have a set of notes in front of you. I have given you the note to do in this session because I'm going to try and cover as much ground as, as we possibly can on this particular topic. Um, this particular topic we started on Wednesday in the Bible study, and it's subtitled, Session 7 is, An Open Heart of Love for Grace to Flow. An Open Heart of Love for Grace to Flow. And our focus will be grace dispensed from open hearts in fathers to open hearts in sons. Now, I would ask you to only reference the notes when I tell you to. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So don't read and listen. Uh, I put the the note in front of you to fast track your reference to scriptures. But I would ask you to listen more than read unless I tell you to, to focus on a particular scripture. This particular session was really, I felt, a download of, of grace unusually. In, in my writing, and um, I found myself office-bound, just locked away in study and in prayer, and just writing and waiting upon the Lord. Um, I always do that, but this particular week, it was very, very profound in terms of my sense of God speaking. And hence, it's about 20 pages. When Ray saw this last night, she said, Dad, 20 pages, I'm not coming to church. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not doing all 20 pages, we'll just do some of it. <laughs> but she was just joking with me. And, um, but it, it's, it's voluminous. It's a lot because of the substance attendant with it. And I write not so that we can teach from what we write. We write so that when you go home, you have something to reference. Okay? And I want to encourage you to really read the material that we give you every second or third week, um, because and put it in your arsenal, reference it, um, file it away, so that we could make the ease of retrieval of it uh, more easier. Okay, often you know we put things away and you ask the person find it and you can't you know where you put it. So I want to encourage you, your own resource that we give you, you should systematically be keeping this in some format, because you never know when the Lord will call upon you to even share some of these things, so you have, have the liberty to, to share it as the Lord would, would lead you. Again, we've covered several sessions on the topic of grace. And this particular one is key because it talks about the flow of grace within a relational context. What we're talking about, as the heading suggests, read it again, an open heart of love for grace to flow. Grace flows most ideally from one person's heart to the other person's heart. A spiritual leader 
or spiritual positioned in your life has got a unique endowment of the grace of God intended to benefit you. In Paul's language, he said, he said it like this in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2. For undoubtedly you know of the grace of God, you Ephesians. He said to them, you know of the, the grace of God given to me for, for you. So the grace given to a, a, an, a, an apostolic father in context, the grace given to an apostolic father is intended to benefit those under his oversight. Paul is not arrogant when he says this. He's simply communicating a protocol by which God works. You must understand God's protocols. So the grace vested in Paul is designed to be communicated to the Ephesian believers. And he says to them, you know of the grace of God given to me for, for you. So there's a particular construct. I call it a construct. There's a particular mode, if you would, or environment in which the transmission of grace from one to another will flow effortlessly, efficiently, and efficaciously. There will be no impediment, no hindrance to the stream of the flow of God's grace if this context is solidly set in place. That context is a spiritual father communicating the grace that God has given to him, communicating that grace to spiritual sons or those given to his care who are under his oversight. When that person communicates the word of God, grace flows. I taught you this. Grace is couched in the word. Grace flows within the context of the word of God communicated to you. But if from the context of, the, within the context of the father-son dyad or the father-son dynamic, if any one of the hearts of the individuals, either the father or the son or any one of them, either both of them and or any one of them, if one or both of their hearts is closed, either from the father's perspective to give it or from the son's perspective to receive it, grace flow is inhibited. So a spiritual father, is the, his intent is to impart grace. But watch, he does it from the platform of love. I'm talking about grace flow from a heart full of love that is open from the father's perspective to the recipient of grace. The son now receiving it must receive it where? On the platform of an open heart full of love for the carrier of the grace, the father that seeks to communicate that grace to him. You've got to understand this. When you open a tap, you expect water to come out. Not so. The water in that tap usually is, is pumped, purified first, and pumped from a reservoir or a dam that collects the water. For the water to be transferred from the dam to your kitchen sink or your bathroom tap, it requires a pipeline. Not so. If you ignore the conduit, you have no hope of receiving the water. Right? So many people want grace. They say, I want grace, grace, grace. But I'm telling you, there is a particular method, a conduit by which grace will come to you if you, for whatever reason, discount or discredit the conduit, grace will not reach your home. Grace will not reach your heart. 
I'm suggesting to us today that um, the methodology for the most efficient transfer of grace would be from a father to a son. In that context, both the father's heart and the son's heart must be thoroughly opened. I want to just quickly read Philippians chapter 1, which was our key text in the Bible study on Wednesday, on page 2 at the top. Philippians 1 verse 8, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Notice what he says to them. Point, uh, verse number 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone say grace to you. Is the intent of the apostle to impart grace? Yes or no? Yes. He says, I want to give you Philippians grace. It's not just a greeting. Please, when you read the New Testament and you read verses like grace and peace to you, that's not just a nice way of saying, how is it? How are you? Like we start letters, dear so-and-so, how are you doing? Paul is not starting a letter. He's, he's starting, before he gives content, he's saying, I'm going to impart grace. Everyone say grace to you. So grace to you. But notice what context in which this grace comes. It says, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always praying, offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day up until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Note the intense affection of love and emotion he communicates in verse 7. It is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense, confirmation of the gospel, you were partakers of what? Come on, you, are, you Philippians are partakers of grace with me, right? For God is my witness, how I long for you with affection, with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is obvious to me that within the context of deep love and affection, the transmissions of grace will be facilitated. Whenever there is, whenever relationships are strained, listen very carefully now, whenever relationships are strained within the context of a leader and his followers, father and his sons in the Lord, any attempt to transfer anything divine becomes impeded. Right? Any attempt to transfer anything divine becomes impeded. Becomes all the more difficult. If you want to create a context that facilitates the reception of anything that God gives your leader, make certain that in your relationships with your leader, the, 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 that relationship is characterized by deep love, honor, and affection. If the relationship is strained, grace flow stops. Grace flows effortlessly. Everyone say effortlessly. It, no, he, he says to no other church, he who began a good work in you will perfect it. He says this to the Philippians. Grace intended to reach them did so. And this grace would have finished the work uh, that God has started in them. And the reason he offers, I believe, contextually, is this intense feeling of love and, and deep emotion. So I said to you, on the bottom of page 2, 
spiritual fathers, point number A. Spiritual, the spiritual father or leader must love those that he leads. And then on point three, on page three, point B, we said also spiritual sons must love their spiritual fathers. Now go to page four. I'm just doing a cursory overview because we've, we've discussed the details of this at the Bible study on Wednesday. So I want to go through that now. I'm just going to continue from where we left off. Now, so there are two issues at stake here. There's a father and there's a son. Number one, the father must have a turned heart towards his son. And at the top of page five, I wrote, sons must have a turned heart towards their fathers. This is where I want to pick up. Now, recall the verse of scripture that we are referencing on page four. Malachi four, verse five and six. It says, behold, I will... Send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And what will the spirit or the anointing attendant with Elijah do? He will do what? He will turn. Everyone say turn. He will turn the heart. Everyone say a turned heart. Right? So it says he will turn the heart of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, please notice. There's an expectation of God for in fathers and sons to have turned hearts. In the sequential order of things, the heart of the father turns first. I will turn the heart of the father to the son, and then reciprocally, responsive to that, the son's heart turns into a demonstrated turned heart in the father. The father cannot expect the son's heart to turn if his heart hasn't turned toward the father. When a father loves, a son will love in return. Not all do, just as how God loves and many don't love him back. Right? But if a father full of love wants to unearth a love response within a son, that father must demonstrate love in a very overt and demonstrable way. It must be obvious. It's not that we love God, the scripture says. But that he loved us. Who loved first? God the Father loved men first. It says, and because they're recipients of God's love, it's not that we love God first, it's that he loved us first. Same thing with fathers and sons. Um, a father must love. Let me just say this for the record. I love all of you. And I think it's been abundantly demonstrated within our context, my love for you. And some of you have been through hell and back. Fortunately, you came back. Okay, And you're still alive. Let me just say this. The power of love to transform for me is amazing. Love brought you through. When others, for some of you, there was pressure brought to me to write you off. But love said no. Tell your neighbor, love said no. Right? Love said no. For some of you have stood at the risk of my own reputation. What is that? It's not courage. It's love. Love will cause you to do and to, 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 to not bend to the pressure of public opinion. Right? When you're governed by a spirit of love. Now that love demonstrated, and you the recipient of that love, will respond responsively to the love that you have received. You see, there are some people that will never know how to love until someone loves them. When you love, 
you unearth a capacity to love in the one who is loved. It's not that we loved God, but He loved us first. And so, I want to encourage us all, listen carefully. A father's heart must be turned, but then there's an expectation also on sons' hearts to respond to the turned heart of expression from a father to you. And so you must love in return. Okay? You must love in return. So then, what I want to focus on today, on page 5, where you got your heading, a sons must have a turned heart towards their spiritual fathers. How is this possible? I want to talk about four areas now, quickly. How can we get a son's heart to turn to love a father? Listen carefully. I want to say it in very clear terms. If your heart is not open to love, your heart is closed to receive grace. The heart of love is the pipeline, if you would, to get the grace from the dam to your room. From the dam, oh, I'm speaking symbolically, from, from, from its source, which is God, to that situation that you're dealing with at home, where you need the grace to be infused. You know, these things are so easy. I don't know why we complicate things. Hey? When I was writing, I'm saying to my mind, Wow, this is so easy. I can walk out and obey this right now. And I can position, strengthen my pipeline. Right? If there are holes in your pipeline, today is a chance for you to fill the cracks. And make sure there's no leakage in the grace that's intended to benefit you. Amen? Hallelujah. So what must a son do then to love in the manner that God expects him to love. Number one, well, you got it as A. You must turn to see the voice that shapes Christ within you. Right? Now on page six. Everyone say, turn to see the voice. Okay, we, we've examined this extensively too on Wednesday. But just for, 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 for summarization. This is Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 to 13. Listen again. Um, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What did John say? I heard behind me a loud voice. Everyone say a loud voice. Right? Like a trumpet. Verse 12. I turned to see the voice. Now, do you see voices? What do you do? You hear voices, but he's, he's not saying I turned to hear the voice. I turned to see the voice. He was wanting to locate the source of the voice. Not the sound of the voice. When he turned to see, what did he see? He said, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. By the way, for your reference, we could spend a whole session just on seven golden lampstands. Seven is perfection, you know. Seven indicates perfection. Gold indicates the divine nature. Anything gold depicts the divin divinity, the nature of God, right? Lampstand, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Put those three concepts together. Seven, perfection, golden, divine nature, lampstands, doctrine. So seven golden lampstands is word, thy word is a lamp, doctrine, that when it comes to you has the, has the effect of perfecting 
the nature of God in you. Right? So John says, what I'm hearing, listen carefully, brethren. He's saying, what I'm hearing has got the capacity to perfect me and to perfect the divine nature of God in me. So I will turn to see how can I locate this anointing. And when he, when he turned, what did he see? Who did he see? Everyone say, one like the Son of Man. It does not say the Son of God. Although it's Jesus in context, but Jesus is both the Son of Man and the Son of God in the Gospels. Son of Man references His humanity. Son of God references His divinity. So you would think by this time in the book of Revelation that what an apostle would see is the Son of God. You would see Him in His divinity, in His glorification. Not so. You would expect this. But the Scriptures are deliberate. I did not see something divine. I saw something human. So it means the divine voice can issue forth from a human vessel. You see, listen carefully, brethren. If you don't respect the source of the voice, you will never respect the voice. I want to encourage you, if ever, why, how does grace flow? Come on, answer me. How do you get grace? Grace comes to you in the sound of words. When the word is spoken to you, the grace of God is communicated to you. John says, I heard a voice, and I turned to locate the carrier of the sound of the voice. I saw one like the, the Son of Man. Now, unless you value that voice, you will not turn. You see, I will send Elijah the prophet, and he will do what? He will turn the hearts of fathers to sons and the hearts of sons to their fathers. The first thing that will cause a son to turn to the father is a turning that is relative to an esteem for the voice of what he is hearing. If you don't esteem what you are hearing in the vessel through whom that is communicated, you can never ever hope to have an open heart of love for that person until you appreciate the value of the grace content communicated in the word of God that that person brings to you. Hmm? Everyone understanding? Right? So I can never ever encourage people to love me, for example. You can never ever truly love me unless you first have an appreciation for what I represent. Yes? Failure to esteem the representation. You will always have issues of a closed heart of love and not an open heart of love and affection. You, everyone just do this. Come on, just do some prophetic action. Okay, this is not aerobics now. This is like prophetic, symbolic. I need a, You know, whenever I go to Pastor Thamu, who is my spiritual father in the Lord, any meeting of his, you know, I do this, especially in the early days, I should do it so consciously. I still do it now, but it's more subconscious. It's not that I'm unconscious of it. It's more subconscious because it's become so part of me. Like when you jump in your car, do you say first gear now, clutching? <laughs> things just happen. Like, so certain things you do routinely, and because of the regularity by which you do it, you then do it even without thinking about it. So now when I go to any context in which my father is speaking, before I just say, have an open heart, receive, love him. Remember, I even wrote two songs to celebrate my love for my father in the Lord. Love him. 
open your heart. Now I do that reflexively because I know it's a requirement if I'm ever to receive any impartation of grace from Him. Amen? So I want to encourage you, ask your neighbor, have you turned to the voice? If you do not turn to the voice, your heart will never be open to the man. If you do not esteem the grace, you will never love the grace carrier. Grace doesn't just come to you through the air. Grace comes to you through human officiation. Grace comes to you through human representation. You can't just want the grace without embracing the human through which that grace comes. Right? Uh, in your notes there, somewhere in your notes, I have this, don't turn to it now. I have a picture of somebody holding a glass of water. Right? You want the water, but you don't want to embrace the glass. Not going to work. Right? You want the contents, but you don't want the container. It doesn't work. To get the water, embrace the glass. To get the grace, embrace the grace carrier. Embrace the grace carrier. Right? It is fundamental. You know why? The message and the messenger are one. The message and the messenger are one. Okay? Now, on the next point, page 7. Tell you that we're doing well for time. (laughs) You're prophesying now. Or you have great faith. So what is the first thing a son must develop to, to, to abide in a consistent disposition of an open love towards his spiritual father in the Lord. Number one, turn to see the voice. You know, the voice of your father should be the loudest voice in your life. Not the voice on pop, of, of popular preachers on TBN, for example. You can't have many, many fathers. You only have one, you should have one father in Christ. You can have many teachers and learn from many sources, that is true. But there should be one predominant voice that shapes you in the Lord. Okay? Now, and what, is, what was the voice sounded like? He said it was loud like a what? Like a trumpet. Trumpet, the image of a trumpet is prophetic activation. Right? Prophetic activation. So you will know your father in the Lord by the voice that turns you. Ask yourself, which voice turns me? Which voice, when I hear it, causes me to do this? Because John said, I heard a voice. And there are many other voices, but there's this one voice that prophetically, like a trumpet, has got the capacity to activate me into my sonship and the fullness of my destiny in God. That voice I turn and I regard it. Right? Turn to see the voice. Having done that, point B, recognize and be profoundly aware of the grace in your spiritual father in Christ. Recognize and be profoundly aware of the grace of your spiritual father in Christ. Now, do you remember in Galatians chapter 2, Paul came to Galatia. Three of the inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, he says, who seemed to be pillars, were in the province of Galatia. Please remember the book of Galatians was written to a province, unlike Some books in the New Testament were written to churches in cities. Like Ephesus was a city, the book of Ephesians. Thessalonica was a city, the book of Thessalonians. 
if ever you're reading Galatians, the book, please note it's not, Galatia is not a city. Galatia is a huge province with cities. So believers in respective households are scattered geographically throughout this province. So when Paul writes to Galatia, it's a different context because he's addressing a vast coverage of geographical area. Right? The book is very important, as you know. Some of you know the context of the book. I'm, I'm going to quote the verse to you for the sake of time I don't want to refer to. But Galatians 2, it say, Paul said this. When Barnabas and I came to Galatia, he says, he's writing in the book, Galatians 2. He says, when Barnabas and I came to Galatia, he said, Peter, James, and John, now they were the three inner circles of the disciples that walked with the Lord for three and a half years. He said, when they saw us, what did they perceive? He says, when they saw us, they perceived the grace of God given to us. Everyone say, grace is perceived. The next point is, have an awareness. A profound awareness, not just an awareness. Please, I really want to go deep today. Listen carefully. I'm not just talking about an awareness. I use the words poignantly here. Recognize and be profoundly aware. Don't just leave the building and say, I know Randolph has grace. I want to, or, or Pastor Thumb, or whoever your spiritual father or leader is in the Lord. Don't just say, I know they are called. I know that's why I go to the church. I know they are leaders. I know. Don't just, you must come to an internal revelation. That this leader has got stuff. Paul says, when they saw it in me, what did they do? They extended to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Fellowship is koinonia. What was it? The three of them wanted to participate in the grace given to Paul. But he said, you've got to perceive this. Right? There was a profound awareness in Peter, James, and John of the grace content given to Paul. And they said, yay, we see it. So if we see it, we participate in it. Amen? Everyone do this. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, open your eyes. <laughs> open your eyes. You see, because it could be right in front of you, but if you're blind to it, what you don't see does not benefit you. Let's use the negative case study of Lot. It's in your notes. Don't refer to it. I'll just relay the incident. We discussed this in part, but I don't discuss it more fully now. Abram. Means what? What does the word Abram or Abram means? Whenever you think of Abram, remember, do this. Exalted father or high father. His nephew Lot went with him. Now Lot's meaning, it means covered, veiled. It also means myrrh. Now do you know what myrrh is indicative of? We discussed this in the healing of the wounded soul series. Everyone say bitterness. So was Lot bitter? Yes, by virtue of the meaning of his name. Listen carefully. Here's where the Lord really spoke to my heart. You see what prevents sight is the state of bitterness in the heart. For whatever reason, Lot became bitter. He had no reason to become bitter because by virtue of his association with, with Abraham, he too, the grace in Abraham, was transferred to him, and he too became a multimillionaire in his day, just as rich as Abram was. The Bible says now both men had multitudes of livestock. Right? 
multitudes of livestock. But if your eyes are veiled, listen carefully, if your eyes are veiled to see what is in the person that God has put right next to you, what the person has never benefits you. If by virtue, that's why I pray, brethren. You see, you might be sitting here and you might be wounded in your soul because of some prior incident with an author- a figure in authority. Maybe with a father that hurt you previously. Do not let your prior negative experience with a leader prevent you from entering now in intimacy the leader that God has positioned in your life. For whatever reason, remember Lot chose to tag along with Abram. Maybe something happened there in Ur of the Chaldees. Remember Lot's father also died. And, and, and Abram took his nephew under his, under his wing, as it were. Right? And so the two of them went along. But listen carefully. Only after Lot separated from Abraham, by virtue of the disagreement between his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Remember? Why did they separate? Well, biblically, the account is given. There was so much livestock, and both the respective herdsmen of each man, the, 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 the amount of land was insufficient to contain everybody. And so, by virtue of insufficient space, there was congestion and a strife developed. Listen carefully. The Bible says there was strife between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. But by the time Abraham addresses the issue with Lot, Abraham said to, him, to, to Lot, and let there be no strife between you and me. You, it's amazing how the strife of others become your strife if you're not careful. Don't adopt problems. Don't let somebody else's strife find its way into your, into your relationships. Okay, And the Bible says Lot was... Accommodative of the fact of strained relationships. Watch. This is what I want to get at, brethren. Because sometimes, if for whatever reason, the relationship becomes tense or strained between one who is a high father. Listen, he's Abram. He's exalted father. But here is a potential son, Lot, but blind to see that. He accommodates. Listen carefully without willingness to resolve the matter, if you accommodate the strained or tense nature of the relationship, you forego the possibility of the reception of grace. You can say, bye-bye to grace. It's, what, it's like Lot was saying, no problem, Abe. <laughs> Uncle. One time they call him brother. You see, brothers are on the same plane. Read. Uh, Genesis 13 properly. The word brother is used to describe them. Never father and son. You know why? Lot equalized Abraham on his level. He never put Abraham in the exalted position of father that he's supposed to be. When you equalize, you neutralize grace. If you see yourself on the equal footing as another, listen carefully, we are all equal before God. Not so? We're all on the same equal footing. But there's ranking in the kingdom for functionality. And I said to you last week, when one is ranked above another, it does not suggest that one is better than the other. 
God will rank for functional effectiveness, not for qualitative superiority of one above the rest. Consider Abraham later. Remember he bowed to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek took bread and wine, and Melchizedek did what to Abraham? The Bible says, and Melchizedek blessed Abraham. The book of Hebrews chapter 7 says, now the greater blessed the lesser. People can't understand this. There is greater and lesser, not to indicate that anyone is less qualitatively, but functionally for rank, for function, there is order and, and rank. Okay? So, tell you never understand rank. So, here's Lot. Watch, here's Lot. A bitter Lot. Bitter blinds you. Bitterness blinds you. I, I pray today, some of you get healed. Over, there's some of you I'm sensing here in the spirit. You're failing to enter the economy of something spiritual because you're sitting there with hard sight because you're entertaining too long, for too long, a disappointment from a, historically. Today is a day of great healing. I said to you on Wednesday, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. Chris Barnard is in the house this morning. Open heart surgery. God's going to open the heart. And he's going to change the heart. So you can see correctly. So tell you never be healed. Be healed of your bitterness. Be healed of your bitterness. So Lot, listen carefully, only after they separated. This was Genesis 13, not so. Genesis 14, the battle with the kings. Abraham still rescues his departed potential son. Remember? Genesis 15, God gives him the blueprint for how you will make him a, a great nation and how that for 400 years they will be in captivity. You know the story. Genesis 16. Genesis 17, God calls Abraham. Remember Genesis 16, there was the Hagar issue. Ishmael is born, etc. Genesis 17, God calls Abraham again and says, No, I'm going to give you a son from your loins. A son of promise, not a son of the flesh. God reiterates the covenantal promise he made to him. God says this to him now. Listen carefully. I'm quoting Genesis 17. God said to him, your name will no longer be Abram. Your name is now going to be what? Abraham. Right? So exalted father is Abram, but Abraham means what? Father of a multitude. Now it's not Abram, exalted father. Now it's now your name changes from, from exalted father. Now your fathering capacity is going to be expressed laterally or horizontally. Now you're going to father many far and wide. Right? The sad thing for me is that Lot did not know that man. In Lot's view, he was only privy to exalted father, which he could not see. Now when God is dealing with the father to grow the father, Lot is nowhere to be seen. The point is, if you cannot appreciate and exalt the principle of father in the one that God has put in your life as father, realize this, that man is growing too. I want to say it again, and please hear with the ear of the Spirit. Your father is growing too. And if you can't see him, 
and esteem the exalted position of Father in him while he's at a certain place in his growth with you and that he's blocked off from your view, when he grows and now he has grace, not just on a small scale, his grace content is now significantly enlarged. You cannot benefit from Abraham when you fail to esteem Abraham. If you fail to acknowledge Abraham, forget about benefiting from Abraham. Remember this. In the Hebrew, to change the word Abram from Abraham to Abraham, in Hebrew alphabet characters, the change from Abram to Abraham is simply the insertion of the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Hey, what is five suggestive of? Grace. What was inserted into Abraham in the change of his name? Grace. He always had grace to Father. But now there was an insertion to Father, not just one or two, multitude. And in you, what did he say? All the families of the earth are now going to be blessed. I want to encourage you, brethren. Exalt the, you're not exalting the man. Please, we're not worshipping or deifying men. Because that's idolatry. That we don't want to do. But what we want to do is respect and honor the grace. If you bring yourself to honoring and exalting the principle, I prophesy, listen carefully, I'm prophesying to all of us. When God deals even with your Father in Christ, and by virtue of His own growth, there is insertions of, hey, there's insertions of grace, in his, and His metron is being amplified. You will be privy to that benefit. I shared on Wednesday, remember the, pro- the promise to, to Abram, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed? Question was, Lot's family blessed? No. Two sons died. Wife, pillar of salt. Children made him drunk. The two girls had sex with him incestually. Produced two sons, Moab and Amnon. Became the Moabites and the Ammonites. Moab means, who needs a father? If you despise fathering, you produce a seed that discounts the need for fathering. (laughs) Is it no coincidence that Lot produces Moab? The one who despised father produces now a whole nation that despises the need for fathering. Oh, by the way, the Moabites and the Ammonites became two key enemies of Israel for all their lives. Yeah, Abraham has got the promise to produce the nation. Yeah, you are a potential son producing something that's going to rival that promise. It's, I, I want to encourage us, brethren. Just nudge someone and say, let's build together. Some need to be nudged like in the ribs. Let's build together. <laughs> Amen. I say this and I'm speaking apostolically to this house. Do not generate a result in this house by virtue of your own heart position, that's going to work antagonistically to what God is designed to produce. Amen? Everyone say, help us, Lord. <laughs> help me, Lord. Right? On page 8. I said some of these things to you on page 8 already. But look what Paul said to the Corinthians. This is point number, Roman numeral 2 on page 8. Look what Paul said to the Corinthians in reference to these things. 
I wrote there, even Paul implied to the Corinthians that the sphere or metron of his own apostolic fathering grace will be extended to many more far and wide when their faith increases. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 14. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For you were the first to come even as far as we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope, watch, that as your faith was, as your faith grows, we will be in our sphere enlarged by even you. So that as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. Let me summarize it like this. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's saying to them, Oh, by the way, Corinthians, when your faith grows, we as apostles, we have a, a sphere or metron of influence. We are enlarged in our metron when your faith grows. Right? Lot worked antagonistically to his, father, his potential father in the Lord Abraham. Paul, is, as a father to the Corinthians, is saying, you Corinthians, toe the line. Grow your faith exceedingly alongside us. Because as you grow, guess what is going to happen to us? Our sphere will grow, and he says, so that we will even preach to others in regions beyond you. So, can you enlarge me? Yes. So, tell your neighbor, don't restrict him. <laughs> you know how you can restrict apostolic fathering? is by your non-compliance. It's by your disobedience. But if you're obedient and your faith grows, do you know what happens? It pushes the metron. A metron is a sphere of influence you have. It takes it to a whole brand new level. Right? It takes it beyond... And its reach will extend to others far and wide. Others far and wide in the Lord. Amen. Now, point number three. It's your point C on page nine. Right? To reiterate, remember the first point was, what are we discussing? To remind you, we're discussing how on earth are we going to get spiritual sons to have open hearts of love and to reciprocate lovingly to the heart of, an, of a father who is already turned and open towards them. Okay? Okay, number one, we said turn to see the voice. Not so? Appreciate the voice, the vessel. B, we said have a profound awareness of the grace that that person carries. Otherwise, if you're blind to it, like Lot, doesn't benefit you. Right? Thirdly, honor the grace of God in that person. Honor the grace of God in that person. Now, yeah, I probably will close with this point because of time. We'll always continue this. But this is a critical point for us to note. Listen carefully. When you say honor, honor starts with an opinion in the mind. Right? If you hold someone in honor, it means you attach or accord to them value. Not so? You will never honor someone you don't attribute 
esteem or worth to. So someone is highly valued in your perception, in your opinion. You have an idea. You have a thought in the mind of, let's say, Mr. Mandela. So you mention his name, and well, by virtue of his legacy, good thoughts come up. You know, Why will you attribute honor to him? By virtue of your perception of the person he is and what he's done, in your mind is lodged a thought concerning the man. If, however, there is someone that has, is totally worthless in your eyes, and that name comes up, you start to think disparagingly about the person. Not so? You start to lower the worth of the person. Now watch. The state of your mind, either in reference to honor or dishonor, will start to manifest itself tangibly in your behavior toward the person. From a spiritual son's perspective, listen carefully, when a spiritual son really turned to see the voice in his spiritual father, he recognizes this, vo- this man or woman has the vo- has, carries the, the voice of the Lord for my life. It's like a trumpet. It's loud. It has the effect of always turning me. Right? I'm profoundly aware that this person has the grace of God in them. I'm not like Lot who is maybe blinded because of some disappointment. Right? I refuse to be a lot. And there are a lot of lots in the kingdom. Right? I refuse to be a lot. And you say this to yourself. Well, now, what I need to foster in my life is this culture of honor and high value. Because I now value the voice. I value the grace. What I'm instilling in my mind is an unalterable position of attached value that I will always append to the person. So the name comes up in conversation. I said, no way am I going to sit in a context where spirit derides and disesteems the grace of someone I I, I respect in God. You see, when you are silent, you give tacit support to what is being said. You allow somebody else's dishonor to influence your position. When that is entertained, subtly you find yourself going that same route. I would rather, not not arrogantly, not rudely, but with a deep internal aggression, state my stance. You see the story that Sean read to us in 1 Samuel 25? Abigail did not allow the dishonor of Nabal to be her dishonor in her mindset. She has a fool for a husband. Please, girls, don't marry fools. Nabal's name means fool. The word Nabal means fool or he would despise us. And I like what this version we said here in ASB. It says that Abigail was intelligent and beautiful. But don't marry a fool. <laughs> Please, you intelligent, beautiful girls, no Nabal's allowed. Right? No Nabal's allowed. And you know what? You know, I, I can't. That's why the Bible calls Nabal, it says a worthless man. Right? You know what a fool is? Do you know what an idiot is? You know the term idiocy? It means stupidity. It means you're lacking in intelligence. Even for something that should be so obvious, it should be common sense. 
But I've learned very quickly, not all sense is common. You would expect people to know certain things, not so? Now, picture the scene. Here's a guy, thousands, 3,000 sheep or something, 1,000 goats. He's wealthy. He's, he's, his laborers are sharing them in the field. Do you know what David, out of the kindness and the goodness of his heart? By the way, David is still running from? So, Samuel, the prophetic voice in his life has just passed away. You know what David does? David uses his 600 men to offer protection for Nabal's sharers of sheep in an open field. Even the men said they were like walls all around us, David's men, protecting us. And here they are hungry, and David sends greetings to Nabal. So nicely it says, peace, peace, peace to you. Here is a fool discounting a salutation of peace and prosperity to his whole house. You know why? He does not know who David is. This is going to be your next king. Don't look at the Abraham now. Look at the Abraham that is to come. And you know what he says? When the men come, he says, he says, who is this David? And who is the son of Jesse? I must take some of my wealth and offer it to him. And he even says, there are many servants leaving their masters these days. You just read that? Hey? What is he suggesting? Because he heard David defected from Saul. So he's bringing into question a spiritual decision that David made in his history. So he says, I devalue, I disesteem, I dishonor. But fortunately, there's a Gale, an Abigail. His wife, fortunately, has the good sense. Oh, by the way, the men come back to David and they report. David is so angry. He says to the 400, man your swords now. Every man, sword. We're going to sort this guy out. And you know what it says? There will not be a male left in his whole clan after we are done with him. David writes. Is David angry? David is. You know why? There's a disrespect to what I've offered you. Oh, by the way, you know what David said to him? David, your son, greets you. Read the text. David actually saw himself in humility in reference to Nabal. Because Nabal was obviously a senior man. And David, with humility, comes to him. I did not have to protect your men or your sheep. I did it out of the kindness of my heart. But please, brethren, when you don't know grace... Designed to protect you. If you disesteem what grace intends as an effect in your life, you will easily speak disparagingly. Who is this Randolph? Who is this Pastor Tamo Naidu? Who is David? Who is Jesse, his father? Who are these people? Little do you know that out of the kindness of a fatherly heart, We've actually rigged up a protective guard around you and your house. And Nabal is clueless. He says, who is these chaps? Who do they think they are? So here David is on the rampage. And you know what? Abigail intercepts. She, and uh, Sean read the account, the bread, the wine, the raisins, the figs, cake figs. And she presents this. 
And she, she, she appeals to David, please disregard the fool in my husband. She says, don't let that foolish behavior condition your heart. See these gifts. David's heart is changed by an expression of honor in the wife. I want to say this again. Spouses, protect each other. David's heart has stayed. The next, that night it was a feast, as you know. And he got drunk. Neighbor got drunk. In the morning, when he was sober, Abigail told him what he did. How he, she stayed the hand of vengeance against his own house. The Bible says, and his heart became like stone. Immediately. His heart became like stone. Ten days later, the Lord struck him, the Bible says. You know what I think happened? God was giving him 10 days of mercy. But in 10 days of mercy, you don't change your mindset. God said, I've had enough of this expression of stubbornness, of, of, of hardness of heart. God says, I'll take you off. I'll wipe you off the face of things. And then, when David heard about this after 10 days, David said word to Abigail to be his wife. And Abigail became David's second wife from that point, that point onwards. I want to encourage you, don't let the dishonor of another lead, influence your mindset to dishonor as well. I would say nip it in the bud before desolation comes to your house. Stop it there and then. Don't, don't let it come to your house. Say no. And I had to do this recently. I said no. You know, I realize you can't speak disparagingly about the hedge round about me. What did Jesus say to Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. How I wish to gather you like what? Like a hen gathers her? Where? Under its what? Under its wings. What did Boaz say to Ruth? says, you've sought it's it's come to me. It's been reported to me how you've loved your mother-in-law and the good things you've done. And you've sought refuge under the wings of the Lord. When you find refuge under Naomi, your spiritual father, it's really you're finding refuge under the wings of the, of the Lord himself. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the Shadow of the Almighty. God is spirit, not so? God is spirit? Yes or no? Is God light? Yes or no? What do you need for any shadow to be cast? You need two things. You need light and you need an object. So, okay, look at me. Yes, adequately, yes, light. But you can't see it properly here, okay? Here's my shadow. I need an object and I need light. He, let's say he, he who dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. The Almighty doesn't have physical substance. He is light. He positions men as spiritual father in your life. That light casts a shadow in and through the grace carrier. You come under the range of that shadow and you are protected. It's not about the man. It's about what he represents. Right? It's like Peter's shadow falling on people and they are healed. 
every shadow has a range of influence. Tragedy never come in the shadow. <laughs> this is prophetic for many of you. Come in the shadow. I will never ever want to be out of the range of grace. Never ever want to be out of the range of grace. Right? Out of the range of grace. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. So, do we love and do we honor? Yes? By the way, let me ask you the question. Was David a man of honor? Even towards Saul was backslidden. Remember? Here's the previous leader. The previous person that provided a range of shadow to the whole nation saw he is now backslidden. He's demon-possessed, demon-oppressed, alien to God in his purposes. He's out of favor with God, separated from God, still alive, and David has opportunity to kill him. But in his heart he says, I will never put my foot in that area that causes me to discredit, disrespect, or to dishonor the anointed of the Lord. I said this to you last time. You can fail in many areas, but don't fail in the area of dishonor. The consequences are too, too grave. Far too grave. Okay? Oh, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It says not so. Obey your parents in the Lord. Everyone say in the Lord. You know what that tells me? This text refers to natural parents your biological mother and father. But it also refers to spiritual parentage, your spiritual father in the Lord. Now we must justify everything we say. So how, how can I say this text also refers to spiritual parentage? Because when Paul said to the Corinthians, you have many teachers or tutors, but you have one father. He said this, I became your father in the Lord. Everyone say in the Lord. So he used the text in the Lord or the phrase in Christ when he referenced spiritual fathering and we can equate that here to Ephesians 6 verse 1, where Paul said, children obey your parents, where? In the Lord. But, and he says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It might be well with you, and you will live a long time in the earth. Now, let me see your hands. Would like it to be well with you. I just like that phrase. It will be well with you. Secondly, longevity. You're going to live a very, very long time in the earth. Who likes a long life? Uh, the psalmist David said, with long life, you will satisfy me. Tell your neighbor, are you satisfied? Right? Long life satisfies a man. My, my goal is 130. I've been halfway there yet. <laughs> we'll be 52 years, one and a half years' time. <laughs> okay. So we're getting there. But listen carefully, brethren. Um, it will be well with you when you inculcate the disposition of honor in your life. I, I take God at His word. Say to God, my name, my surname is Bon Well. So things must go well with the Bon. <laughs> it has to be well with me. I'm going to create the conditions 
It will be well with me. It will be well with my wife. It will be well with my kids. It will be well with my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids even up until the third and fourth generation. I can decide that now for generations to come how you, God, will deal with my children based upon the expressions of honor and the, 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 the principle of honor that I foster in my life now. Here is, I'll make a bold statement before you. I will not even think a thought negatively about any servant of God. I will not cross that line. If there's something to be concerned about in a leader, I will rather submit it to prayer and present the, the thing to God. If also, please remember this, your spiritual father is also your brother in Christ. And the same protocols that govern the resolution of conflicts and disputes between brothers should also persist between a spiritual son and his father. So the scripture says, if your brother is caught up in a fault or sin, go to him personally and cover the fault. Don't broadcast it on Facebook, email, telephone, you spreading things. The greatest, temp, the greatest test of your love, here's the deal, and you're all going to be tested by this in one respect or another. One of the greatest tests on whether you have perfected God's love in your heart would be this. You hear something unsavory about a leader or even your own spiritual father. It's going to test. Yes, it's testing them, but it's also testing your response. Your response should be to cover it, not to cover up for it. There's a difference between covering up sin versus covering sin. The Bible says love covers eh? The word cover in the Greek means in, in the Greek means to put your hand over your mouth. Literally it means that. So when to cover sin it means stop talking about it. Don't let everybody know about it. Keep it between you, protect your brother, and attempt to win him back. Not so? So go and see him between you. If he doesn't listen, take a witness. And then to the church if he still doesn't listen. Okay? So very, very important. So are we all going to be honorable before the Lord? Now, let me ask you this. Okay, here's a question to all of us. Do you honor me? Don't answer. Answer in your heart. Now, one of the ways you will know whether you honor is by your expressions of obedience. Children, obey. Honor your father. Honor is measured by obedience. Right? One of the ways. There are many others. But honor is measured by obedience. Now, I want to close with this. Tell your neighbor, he's closing. <laughs> you know, I really haven't got to the core of the message yet. I'm trying to build up to a, a point that I want to go. So you have to come back next week. <laughs> Listen carefully. Um, I want to read the text and close. So on the next page. Hebrews, or rather Romans 12 verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing what? Honor. I like this text. Please listen to me. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Then, if there's any competition, Paul is saying, that he permits in the house of God, the competition should be this. Let's try and outdo each other by the levels of honor we show. Isn't that a good competition? Not to, to, to showcase the other, but to develop your honor so profoundly that there's no temptation for you to, to be lured into something lesser. Now, here's the context, brethren. Honor must become a culture. 
a culture of honor, excuse me, a culture of honor starts with a heart of honor. Culture is normative behavior, not so. It's behavior that's become so normative within a people. It's become habitual. It's become what they do without even thinking about it. You can never instill a culture of honor until each heart in the culture is filled with honor. Culture of honor starts with hearts of honor. Right? Not so. If every son, listen carefully, loves and honors his father in the Lord, every son then too will love and honor every other son who is their brother, who is also their father's other sons. You can never ever truly love the father without loving his other sons. So if you say, Randolph, I honor you, I love you, here is the challenge. I am saying, let that not only be a heart issue, personal and unique to you, start to generate it from your heart to a culture so that the heart of honor translates to a house of honor. And the environment becomes honorable because here's the deal, brethren. Dishonor repels grace, but honor invites it. Whenever God looks from the heavens and says, wow, See how they love and see how they honor one another. The context, the pipeline is ripe. It's not just about a father and his son. It's about the state of relationships between other sons in the house that makes the house a house of, of honor. You know why? You'll understand this more when I speak later on about the lateral flow of grace. Yes, you get grace gravitationally. If you esteem your father, grace will flow downward gravitationally and you can receive it. But there's also a grace flow laterally where grace will flow from son to son. Right? But for that to happen, as there must be a love dynamic between father and son, so too there also must be a love dynamic between brother to brother. Then the house becomes a house of great honor and love. And God will will we'll dispense unusual grace to that context. But know this, if there's ever, if ever you dishonor me or Elvis, and I say this to you deliberately, the things I've said to you, don't only view it in reference to me. The same disposition now must become your mindset in reference to everybody else in the house where you love and you esteem. Remember the prodigal son? Not once did the oldest son refer to the lost son who came back as my brother. Read the text. Not once did he ever say my brother. When he spoke to the father, he said, this son of yours. He went, he did. Now this son has come back and you've sorted the fatted calf. What did the father say to him? Not my son. The father said to him, your brother. What is the father trying to do? My eldest son, you can't love me until you esteem the value of your brother. Hmm? You know, many of you, <laughs> I hope you're not like the older brother. Hey, that son of Randolph, that other one, you know? You know that other one, that other son in our house, that one? Hey, how can our father love him? I demonstrate love to every son in the house as a model to you 
of how you should esteem the value of your brother in Christ. No true brother, listen carefully, no true son. It all starts like this. If you fail to see the value of your father, you will fail to see the value of your brother. If you have the correct esteem and honor for your father, it, your father's view of your brother that you are struggling to love will be your view towards your brother. Because your father has demonstrated to you. Right? So stop saying this son of yours. Say, hey, he's my brood. Because see how daddy loves him. And I have to have the love of my father toward my brother. Hmm? You want more grace? So when I go to Salvin, when I go to Kevin Francis, when I go to Jonathan, when I go to Quilbus Poseidon out in Botswana, if I think of Pierre Karin or Torin in Mossel Bay, I think of Marcel van der Merwe in, in Cape Town, I think of, uh, who's in Cape Town again? Gordon Clarsen and Tina Clarsen. And I think of the shepherds in Washington, D.C. I think of uh, Gisela in the DR or Yasser Rives. These are all my brothers in the same household. When I see how my father, Pastor Thamel, loves everybody equally, no matter what issue I might have with my brother, I adopt my father's view in reference to them, and I love them as he loves them. You must love as your father loves. Hmm? So that grace will flow. Yeah? I now banish the term from this house. This son of yours. <laughs> it mustn't be heard amongst us. Yet we must say, no, my brother. He's struggling. But with my father's love and help, with my involvement of support, we're going to rescue. We're going to help. He will be redeemed. You know, I, brethren, it's very important. I wish you'd go into the balance of this teaching because I haven't got to the point yet. But I think you have enough to think about. Not so? Amen? Are, are you challenged in your heart? Are you challenged in your heart? Yes. You know what? Grace flows where love is present. Tell you never, grace flows where love is present. And where you love, you, you lace it with honor and mutual respect. You don't only honor your father. You, the Bible says, honor one another. Honor one another. Lift your hands to the Lord. Lift your hands to the Lord. I pray that you would be healed of your hurt. For some of you that are struggling to love and to honor, I pray, brethren, none of us will be like Lot in this context who is battling to see what is right in front of you. None of us will be unintelligible, lacking in intelligence, foolish like Nabal, to see that what God has positioned in your life is actually a protective hedge around you. I declare over all of us today, great grace will start to attend you. Everyone lift your hands up. Just lift your hands up high. Open your heart. Open your heart. Don't try and process things mentally with your spirit. Remember what, what, what Paul said to Timothy, grace be with your spirit. It's always spirit to spirit. It's heart to heart. I pray over the house my sons in the Lord, 
for all of you and, and our visitors as well. Great grace be your portion. Great favor be upon you, upon your spouse, upon your family, upon your extended family. I declare favor. I, in, I install the hedge of protection. God's favor round about you and all your assets. I declare that you will be, it will be well with you. And you will live a very long time in the earth. I declare it's not going to go all right with you. Things will not go downhill. I declare today it will be well with every single one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray an abundant favor be your portion. And I pray that the spirit of love and of honor toward leadership of any kind, particularly your spiritual father, but also the view of your brother and other members in the house, you will highly apprise and respect everybody equally. And thus saith the Lord, there is no stopping to what my grace will then do in your life. There is no telling to what my grace is able to accomplish in your life. So on God's behalf, brethren, I bless you today. I declare that you are blessed of the Lord. I now commend you to God and to the word of His grace that is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance amongst all the saints that are sanctified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.